What Trump has done is he's taken the empathy and he's removed it from the American sort of psyche. What he said to people who might feel racist publicly, that's okay. Like, that, you know, they're very fine people among those of you who identify with Nazis. That you can be a fine person and a Nazi. That's wholly new. Like, even really, we've had racist presidents. Woodrow Wilson, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Johnson. We've had some terrible presidents. Richard Nixon, listen to the tapes. None of them, even Nixon, none of them ever performed racism publicly. It was always stuff you found out later when you would read their books or you would get video or you would get, you never saw somebody just openly say, those Nazis included fine people. That's shocking. And that nobody quit over it? Not one person? Something's really wrong. And if you know that voice and if you understand that energy, I'm pretty sure you can identify that Joanne Reed is the latest finisher to join points on the board. You know, she was someone that gave me the alley-oop to go ahead and handle my business as a young Thundercat journalist out here at the GRIO um, slash MSNBC. And we'll get to talk about the things that have led to uh, this man being in office. In this full circle moment, we get, I get a chance to talk to Joy about not only her journey, but what is it like being a black woman covering politics when you literally, as a daughter of two immigrants, represent everything that the man in office is not a fan of and what his policies represent. We talk about that in her new book, The Man Who Sold America, because again, Joy has, is in a very unique position because not only does she represent you know, her background, but she's able to go ahead and speak politics in a way where people that don't know the game are able to immediately latch on to. Our shared love for politics, music, and nerdy things allows us to have a type of conversation that allows us to deal out um, why Trump is in office, but also talk about something so silly as uh, the greatness between Drew Hill and 112. So home team, please take a moment and listen to the latest episode of Points on the Board featuring MSNBC's own and author, Joanne Reed. We in here. And Jalen Rose and I had this conversation the other day because he's like a big brother to me. I'm not going to let people pit us against each other. Like there's only room for one black person to be on TV. A lot of girls, if they don't have a plan or they don't know better or they get sucked up in that life. And, you know, when I was in it, I was in it. I had a game plan. You know, we partnered up with the NBA and we launched a huge, huge, huge initiative in Africa to get kids more involved in, in, in basketball. First of all, especially when I grew up, D.C. was Chocolate City, so one black beauty was celebrated. The, the reason why it was set up that way because Dame was the, was the forefront and he knew more about the business than Jay and myself. I love being at the intersection of politics, hip-hop, um, the culture, social issues. Um, I don't think that I would be happy if I couldn't talk about how all those things come together. You can put it on the board or what? Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Kyle Harvey here. You're managing out of the Shadow League, and it's another episode of Points on the Board. So, uh, POTB, we interview the people that are the, the finishers of the field, the ones that are the closers, if you will. Who is the, the Jordan? Who is the, uh, the Steph Curry of what they do? Uh, the ones that are on the rise, the ones that are already established. And on this episode of POTB, we're speaking with the writer, journalist, author of a new book, The Man Who Sold America, MSNBC's own, AM Joy host, Joanne Reed. That was like the greatest. That's like a mixtape intro right that there. That really was. That was a lot. You I had to can record my mixtape. You could do the intro to it. I've really been, this is my campaign every time. Thank you, Kyle here, Harvey. So thank okay. you for being here. I love that. You should record that. I want that to be my phone message. So when people call me, they say, that whole thing you just said, that's my. It'll be like if when Muf they call me. I'll be like the, the trap Mufasa who can go ahead and give 
you know, game, you know, you know, herald you, if you will. Or maybe that's more like coming to America like my man, but I digress. <laughs> it's sort of like the right. It's kind of like the book flavor flav. I can so do I'm going that. back. I'm old school. So no, that's fine. You know, yeah. I know I know your affinity for Chuck D and Flavor Flav, you know, it's fine. So it's fine. You know, so um you know, you're here today because uh, aside from your know, reminiscing and whatnot, is um to talk about, you know, honestly basically what's been happening in this country since 2016 yeah. from a diet from a perspective that a lot of people don't get a chance to see from you know in front of the camera behind the camera but also talking to the people that have either accidentally or you know purposely you know put 45 in office so uh yeah thank you for coming by to give us some you. clarity because you know sports and politics ain't that far removed not at all well not now especially since we're living inside a reality show like right like, you know athletics in a lot of ways is is drama the reason people love it is that it's a drama mm-hmm. and the presidency is now no different it's wwe but in the white house right you know which is not exactly athletics but it's kind of athletic well you know what there's Semi. a performance aspect to it you know what i mean sure. How, you know you know and um as someone who is you know i've talked about a shout out to uh, bret hart and all these other pro wrestlers i used to champion back in the day it's a dance though and it's pre-scripted and i think that's the biggest part about Exa- it and I, exactly and I, you know it, Do- donald trump once tried to buy into wwe yes like he's that into it right that he one time pretended like he was going to like buy an entire franchise of wwe the minute he said he was going to do it it tanked mm-hmm. so then he pretended to sell it back like it, even that was fake right right so everything that he's done it, it's very similar to the way that professional wrestling has evolved that it's a drama that feels real and people get really into the drama people get very passionate about these races as if they are not as if the as if these matches as if they're not pre-scripted it's real to me it's real to me damn it that's I, I, listen <laughs> i used to argue with people do that right, it was real right. i used to believe when i was a kid i thought it was real no 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 but to your point i mean and as someone who you know followed the sport or followed the the sports entertainment as it would be called right um i remember when uh, trump in the last <clears throat> insertion of him as a persona, uh, you know, a character was one, the dude who he wants to be like, his yeah. foil, or the one he wants to be like in Vince McMahon. And yeah. even the setup back then, it was for like a WrestleMania, and basically the wrestler, and he's still active, his name was Bobby Lashley, mm-hmm. and he was devoid of personality, but it was like, unfortunately, the undertones to it mm-hmm. was like between him and then also um, Vince McMahon's guy, these big hulking buck figures and it's like they're over here fighting for the ability to you know win money or win some type of stake it was very weird because at the end of the day I just remember Donald Trump like spearing like tackling a grown man and it was you know, fake because you know Donald Trump ain't about that life right and I mean even when he was doing The Apprentice Donald Trump had these insane ideas that really never happened but at one point he wanted to have a black apprentice versus white apprentice he actually yeah. pitched that that he was going to have black players go against white players he even made that show kind of like a wwe kind of franchise and some of the ideas now you think about it, you're like that's incredibly racist and that would never happen but in his mind he thought well that's tribe a versus tribe b that's how he looks at life right and you know unfortunately and i think that's the scary part people don't really realize that 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 perspective is not that far removed of from like a lot of people that are you know their job is just to vote not someone that necessarily Necessarily, like digest and understand like the context that is happening, and I think that's why your book is so amazing. Because not only is the fact that you're able to go ahead and you know see the ones that have uh, that fumbled the ball or dropped the ball, but you know you represent literally everything Trump has a problem with. You know, I, I've always wondered like when you've ascended, you know, post after you know Reed Report winners of AM Joy, that you're in a space right now where. I remember every time that was breaking, whatever record happened, I'm like, all right, it's an inevitable time where there might be a shot or something that is aligned for his, you know, his base to feed on. What's, what's that been like but just reporting and being on that front line for when it's come to that? I mean, it's like being on the other end of a fire hose, right? And it's like coming at us all the time. Yeah. Like Donald Trump never stops acting. He, first of all, he sleeps about four hours a night. I can relate to that because I have insomnia real bad, so yeah, I get it. We know. But he doesn't sleep. <laughs> he doesn't sleep. He's up all the time. And when he's awake, which is most of the time, he's thinking about 
how do I get Donald Trump in your head? Right. I need to be on your mind. I need to be in your face. I need mm-hmm. to be on your Twitter feed. I need you to be thinking about me all the time. That's kind of the way that he operates. He does operate like he's a WWE character or like he's a superhero mm-hmm. in a movie. He's always a part of your life, and he needs to be. Because there's something in him that I think is kind of missing, that he's got this desire for love and affection and attention that he can't ever get enough of. So he's trying to fill that up with us. And the challenge Donald Trump has is that the thing he wanted, right. which is to be respected and to be a part of the mainstream culture like he'd like to be here he'd like to have people like you he'd like to have athletic stars he'd like to have nba stars he would love it if the women's you know a world cup team wanted to come to the white house he would love it if george clooney wanted to come to the white house he wants hollywood and high society to right. love him he can't get that respect that ain't earned, happening. right and you know and there's a there is a, a not a blood sweat and tears you know uh, you know uh allowance or a pay you have to do just to get it but you know there's a reason why Barack earned his stripes and I always thought that was kind of like the you know you know racist side I mean just character you know just like understanding and if you do have an athletic or something as Trump has always wanted to be a strong man or someone who's competitive you do understand that there is a, a price for it right you know whether that be you know actually reading a book you know concurrent or coherent sentences things where you know grammar things where communication and, you know, holding down leadership qualities that happen when you do mess up. And, you know, unfortunately, again, to his base, they feel like they've never had the opportunities to mess up or that it's been played in at their head that they, you know, the, the stakes have already been against them. But it's like, open a book. Well, it's, well, it's interesting, too, that, you know, Donald Trump, people always wonder, well, how can he relate? to ordinary people who see him as their champion. When he's not white working class, he lives in gold, like he moved into a gold building, he right? Did. There's nothing about him that's normal. But what they see is that he has the same enemies they do, and he has the same lack that they do. So people who are on Trump's political side run the country. They run most states, they run the federal government, they now have firm control of the courts, they have control of the Supreme Court. They have a lot of power, mm. but what they don't have is cultural power. So when LeBron James calls Donald Trump a bum, they feel like he's calling them a bum. They respect somebody like LeBron. They want LeBron to also genuflect toward them. Mm-hmm. They want them, him coming to Fox News and wanting to be on with Sean Hannity. Like, they want to be in the center of the culture. Because no matter how much power Donald Trump supporters get, they don't have cultural power. They, mm-hmm. have, they have no cultural power. Hollywood is completely against not just Donald Trump, but conservative Republicanism. They're for the immigrants. They care more about the little kids in the cages. They ain't for them. And so I think for for those people who support Donald Trump, he represents beating up on that side that won't come to them. You know what I mean? It's funny because, you know, we always talk about music and whatnot, and I just always remember how Every, in my head, when I think of a Trump person and someone that I've grown up with, people that wind up voting for Trump, you know, I, I notice if I'm posting something where I'll get a like if I'm talking about Fly Eagles Fly, you know, the mm-hmm. 2018 Super Bowl champions. Not 2019, but 2018 Super Bowl champions. But regardless, just having those people around, I'll see them like posts about sports. But when it comes to something that's immediately political or something that is, you know, to people that are black, you know, there's no response or there's a yeah, but and then insert convenient, you know, white privilege excuse. But for me, it's just like, damn, like when I think of musically and people that I've grown up with that are now Trump people, they listen to Eminem. They were the ones who were wearing baggy white tees. They were the ones that were afraid to go to the hood to go get said white tee. You know what I mean? Right. And they had the, the hair bleached bond and you basically were either having a Caesar trying to look like Ooh, you George with Kid Clint. Rock? You, you know just, what I'm saying? You like, Kid Rock. Exactly. <laughs> who is in said White House? It was just wild to me because now, you know, it, it's... It, I don't think people realize the touch points that they have and how close they were within consuming black culture. And now what you're doing now and what you represent or what you're voting for is 
basically you're messing with your uh, your childhood. Well, and know. Donald Trump is too, because remember Donald Trump. You know what? Sixty seven different uh, hip hop lyrics have Donald Trump's name in them. Yeah, he was represented as the uh, you know he was a synonym for wealth and bling and everything that you know in his mind and talking to people you know just for the book that know him they said listen he never listened to rap music but he liked the culture he liked the idea of the the you know um, the ostentation the braggadociousness yeah. the wealth the money that's being shown like that's what he liked other black people he doesn't respect but he respected that right and so he was a part of our culture this dude was in home alone too he's showing up in in, in our prince. movies fresh prince he's in our culture and so at the time he was part of the culture you think about his base you know back in the 70s um, you had Elvis Presley going to the White House for Nixon. Right. You had, you know, James Brown going to the White House for Reagan. Like, they had culture. Ronald Reagan was popular in Hollywood even though he was being a right-wing Republican. They've lost that. Quick They're- segue. You were talking about it before with, uh, you said with uh, Reagan. I was thinking about Clarence, no, excuse me, yeah, Clarence Savant. Or was it uh, Richard Nixon? I forget. But basically, the Black Godfather. Have you seen this on Netflix yet? No. Okay, so basically. Oh, I saw the yes. premiere for the premiere for that. I gotta watch that. Right, right. So there's this one clip on there specifically where um, there is a touch point because just like you talk about Kanye, or you know, and obviously, because you know, there's two periods. There is woke yay or sunken yay. Yeah. And then there is uh, sunken yay. it's sunken yay. There's yeah. pre-sunken and there is sunken yay. Yeah. Unfortunately, but. You know, in the Clarence Avant movie, he was talking about a benefit concert, and I believe there was after an assassination. I could be misspoken, but the person that they brought out for this Black Unity concert was um, Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. And obviously his politics were more aligned with, you know, conservatives mm-hmm. and obviously with the Rat Pack and whatnot. He was more so known for that. So the reaction was he was getting booed off the change because of, you know, Black America. They were like, obviously not down for what he represented. Right. So he said a saying, which I want to get your, your opinion on, because I don't know if that'd be the the accessible points of being forgiven would, would last up. He basically said, you know, no matter what my politics are, at the end of the day, I am still black. And for me, and it, let's keep the whole Trump to Kanye to, you know, that that energy, I feel like there's so many things and there's information given that is actually factually true. I don't know if you could just say I apologize for what it is and what Trump represents. You can't be aligned with that because yeah. the way he does represent is so obvious. Yeah, I mean, I think for Kanye, right? It was a he. He stepped over a line. It's very hard to step back when you put that red hat on. It meant something to people, you know. And it's funny because he's the same Kanye that said George W. Bush doesn't care about black people, and then he's aligned with the culture and the way black people felt about that president. Mm. Now he's on the opposite side, and so it's weird to see him over there because I like the original late registration Kanye. Yeah. He's the Kanye that I. Rep- Represent. Like my guy. I don't represent. I don't believe there's any Kanye after that. I don't accept oh. the existence of that Kanye. Not, not dark fantasy. Though. Okay, dark fantasy is okay. Because because you know yeah, the touch. Because okay. the touch point. And you know yeah. you know obviously personal experiences like when you lose say parent. You know, you always talk about that switch, but it's like, bro, yeah. like, come on, man. How do you you're, you're disrespecting at damn near point or how exactly. you're processing it? Because fighting like his former self. Like, they're fighting each other, you know, and, so, and there's a lot of other issues with him, too. But I think for Trump, when Kanye came to the White House, for him, that was what he wanted, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that is the validation he wants, is the culture. But what he re- didn't realize is the Kanye who came to the White House no longer had the culture exactly. with him. So he couldn't bring us with him. Donald Trump can never get what Barack Obama had. He's never going to have all those hip-hop artists in the White House. He's never going to have movie premieres in the White House where Hollywood stars show. Those are the things he really wants. He can't get it. Pusha T, actually. Um, shout out to Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib for putting out probably the best project in hip-hop and bandana. But uh, Pusha T, has, there's a song between Freddie Gibbs, who's a rapper from Gary, Indiana. But he has a song with Pusha T, and, you know, Pusha T obviously knows about, you know, drug references. And he has this line about, Obama let me into the White House. 
And most people, and I think maybe conservative, they were to hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy, I already know how it would look if Donald Trump, you know, has left criminals. You know, right. it's like he's never had criminals in, you know, the building and whatnot. You but, mean like his former lawyer? Yeah, that, <laughs> you know, or just, you know, anyone... We'll talk and about his that. former campaign manager. And insert, and insert. And his former national security advisor. Yeah, you know, I mean, we go down the road. But I always did understand that, you know, the path and the thing that he'll never have was the empathy through the culture that he represents. Like, I don't know what, I don't know if he has a, he's a man without an island. He's a man without a country, it seems like, yeah. you know, and Obama completely was the opposite of that. And he's opposite. I mean, when I, the, the reason I opened the book by cop calling him the Joker. This is, is great, that, by the right? way. I want to talk about that. Well, and the reality yeah. is, is that like the if you look at the cosmology, most of them of the Joker, they're all different, right? Because they change it slightly. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, the Joker is this really rich guy, really angry, and what he's angry about is the existence of Batman, right? So the, the two of them are both rich. They're both angry. They're both disgruntled rich guys. And what um the, what Batman decides to do with his anger is to fight criminals. Mm-hmm. He hates the fact that people are abusing the little guy. And what Joker decides to do is to fight Batman. And he kind of doesn't exist without Batman. Like there's no purpose for the Joker other than just messing with Batman. And he hates the fact that Batman is popular. He hates the fact that people love him. He just hates him. Mm-hmm. And I think that Donald Trump sort of Obama could be his Batman, the culture is his Batman, like all of these things that he wanted for himself when he was coming up in Queens and wanted to get to Manhattan and be respected by the Anna Wintours, he wanted to be in vogue, he wanted to be that guy, but they wouldn't let him in. And so he hates that. He started to hate the thing that he wanted the most. It's weird because, I mean, I, I completely agree on that. Who's your favorite Joker? That's a tough one because I think... Because um, they represent a little bit of different... They're all and, slightly different. Yeah. I think that the, the, the last Joker, um, and now my, my brain isn't going to work, who, who passed away... Um, Heath River, Ledger. Heath Ledger. I think Heath Ledger was the best... He performed the Joker, I think, better than anybody else. He was a terrorist, too, which is crazy. Not a villain. He was a terrorist. He was a terrorist, right? But I think he just did the best job of just being the Joker. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, I got to say him. um, It's funny because when I think of, and again, considering the price he paid, you know, to play the Joker, I'm like, all right, ultimately, I'm sorry, that's my slack for minorities in media chat. You know what, Jack Nicholson, though, is is you kind of got to love Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, he's so fly. And, you know, but I remember you were talking off camera about, like, you know, the the 80s aesthetic of a villain back in those times when, you know, Wall Street is up, you know, the buildings are here. We're dealing with, like, the terms of yuppies and whatnot, too. And, you know, we're going through our financials up and downs and Wall Street is defining and everything. But, you know, if you look at Trump, you know, baggy suit, baggy everything, just slovenly at times and the way he carries himself. And then I look at the cover of your book. And what you described is in the sense of how he looks like from the silhouette of like the penguin or, you know, someone, yeah, someone, (laughs) someone in someone in the position where, you know, just because you're wearing a suit does not make you the boss. And I feel like that's the thing that Trump, he tries to exude. And he's not even doing that right because, you know, his contemporaries are the people that were behind or people that were um, behind him in the presidency. You know, less is more. And I think that's how sometimes power, that's how we like to perceive power. So someone like Trump, you know, and the way he gets down and understanding that there's more bark than there's bite, it just has us looking so just exposed. And I think that's the greatest, the greatest fear of danger. It does. In a way, his clothes kind of represent kind of who he is because his clothes are too big. Mm. Right? He's big. He's huge. He's a big man. He claims he's like 200 pounds. That's probably not true. That's like what LeBron says, like, yo, I'm about 240. No. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Right. Right? So he's a big guy. But he, he wears clothes that are even bigger. He's a pro wrestling weight, actually. That's when they, they flood. Right? Yeah. And he's, so he's this huge character with these ama- massive clothes that he makes. So he's got... 
a literal tailor that makes the clothes because they're his brand of clothes and they're way too big. His hair, he could just comb it like normal, but he doesn't. Like everything's exaggerated. And he is an exaggerated figure. Like he can't, you know, even when he went to England, he went to this royal wedding and everyone else had the proper waistcoat, the white yeah. paper hangs down. His was like down to his knees. It's getting bad. <laughs> and it's and it's like it's at a point right now where it's just like you can't even write these jokes because I mean like I don't know what else is there to clown like everything know. else everything that is there's a criticism has been brought up and I know for me personally just seeing it on the outside looking in you know the heightening of uh, what he represents and it comes to some of the you know um, the the rise of uh, anti-Semitism and just like racism against black people and whatnot and not understanding I'm just I feel like people are tired of just you know swallowing this because yeah. you, know, you can't doing the eye test something is off you know so um I want to pivot off that really fast. Um, when it comes to breaking news or things that you've done, you know, um, I remember the moment when you, when Trayvon broke national news and then, the, um, the following deaths between, you know, Jordan Davis, Mike Brown, uh, moments where, you know, people's children are, you know, are being removed from this earth. It's just happened in, um, Arizona. And, um, I wanted your perspective on it and get your thoughts on it because obviously things are still breaking, but you know, the reported excuses are not excuses, but they're saying I'm hearing mental illness and something that really struck odd with me. And, you know, considering that music is something that is communicative, you know, how do you go ahead and blame hip hop or saying hip hop is the aggressor to go ahead and slit the throat of someone else's child? And yeah. I think, you know, mental illness only goes so far, but something that is frankly consumed by everyone in America, black and white, and it was until recently wasn't the biggest genre. You know, I mean, how do you say that? You can't, because, I mean, if you think about some of the places where hip-hop is the most popular, Japan, you don't have people slitting people's throats over it, right? I mean, it's like saying that, you know, video games are the reason for violence. You know, people play video games all over the planet. Absolutely. People aren't slaughtering each other in other countries the way they're doing here. There's something else going on here that's not going on throughout the rest of the world. Hip-hop's the biggest musical form on, on Earth. It's being listened to in South Africa. It's being listened to in Kenya. It's being listened to in China. It's being performed in Cuba. No one else is murdering each other. So something's wrong here. I think that's one thing. The second thing is, is that, you know, Donald Trump didn't invent the idea of public racism, right? We've had public racism since the country was founded. The, f the country is founded on public racism, 100%. right? It's the, it's the basis kind of of our social construct between white and black people. But what was different in the era when we were covering the Trayvon Martin case and all of those cases, which were like very hard for me to cover as a parent. I mean, you know my kids, you know, I'm very close, you know, my husband and I are really close with our kids and just seeing them, I saw them in every kid that was killed. Um, and so that was really hard. But the difference was there was an empathy that came from the top. So when those kids died, you knew that the president of the United States cared about them, mm -hmm. that at, at minimum you knew that there was a cavalry that could come, right? That if there were protests for Black Lives Matter, protesting Mike Brown's death, you didn't feel like the federal government was the enemy. You know, you knew that there was going to be reaction to it um, if there were riots and violence, sure, but you definitely felt like somewhere in that Department of Justice there was somebody who gave a damn about those kids. What Trump has done is he's taken the empathy and he's removed it from the American sort of psyche. What he said to people who might feel racist, publicly, that's okay. Like, that, you know, they're very fine people among those of you who identify with Nazis. That you can be a fine person and a Nazi. That's wholly new. Like even really, we've had racist presidents, Woodrow Wilson, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Johnson. We've had some terrible presidents. Richard Nixon, listen to the tapes. None of them, even Nixon, none of them ever performed racism publicly. It was always stuff you found out later when you would read their books right. or you would get video or you would get, you never saw somebody just openly say, those Nazis included fine people. That's shocking. And that nobody quit over it? Not one person? Something's really wrong. I think, um, I think, I think also, too, when we're talking about 
I know I know if anyone's played football, every day every every game is the equivalent of a car accident. You know, that's the amount of trauma people go through. So once you have trauma, what do you need to do? You need to go ahead and, and take care of it. You need to go ahead and um find ways to alleviate that. You know, someone who's up and close and personal with this, you know, um I've seen, you know, mutual colleagues like Tremaine Lee talk about it. Have you had to detox or how do you create a safe space for you to do what you do as being a mother literally representing what, you know, the administrative has shown that they're not fans of? Yeah, I mean, honestly, and, you know, we've talked to this a long time ago. Um, yeah. I'm a TV kid. I grew up, you know, I'm Generation X, Gen X. You know, we're TV oh, yeah. kids. We, we grew up on TV. <laughs> TV watched us, right? Right, right. TV was a babysitter. So I'm a, I'm a TV person. So whenever I need a detox, it's TV. And stuff that I like to watch tends to be way out there. Stuff that's, like, super normal so that it can't really happen, right? I right. Mean, um, so I love anything to do with zombies. So, you know, I'm watching The Walking Dead. I'm watching Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, Game of Thrones, sorry, it's gone. Enjoyed watching that. Like, stuff like that that's completely outside of normal. Because then I stray into watching stuff like The Handmaid's Tale, and it's like a documentary. And, like, that's painful. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know if I want to watch that. I, I started watching, and I'm, I'm up to the current season. I haven't started the new season. That's a little too close to real, you know? So I try to watch just, like, fantasy TV. Um, that's pretty much where I'm at. We have the current barometer right now because, and again, I think this is why it's so interesting that the politics and sports are so intertwined because of the president. You know, um, I want to talk about when we talk about, you know, the career defining performances, you know, where you merge politics with, you know, your sport. You know, where does Megan Rapinoe for you, you know, have seen boxing and, you know, basketball and people have done protests, considering the, the, embodying the fact that women are not getting paid, they're not getting the bag that they should be when it comes to uh, performing these these men that have been trashed for like 20 plus years. Uh, the fact that she said what she said about Trump, but also in the way of um, in, um, understanding that very white allyship and making sure even with my statement, I'm quoting Nipsey Hussle. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very impressed, but you know, at times I, I'm, I'm worried if it's performative, but it seems mm-hmm. like she's making the steps in the right direction. I think she is. And you know, there's nothing more political in American culture than sports. And so when people say it. take sports out of my politics, they don't know sports. I, there's nothing more political. I mean, you think about the entire every single league, whether it was baseball and integrating in and how political that became. I mean, there were places where Jackie Robinson couldn't even, you know, stay in a hotel or go to the bathroom in the yeah. South, including Sanford, Florida, where Trayvon Martin was killed, right? It was one of the most racist southern towns in America, Florida, right? And so, you know, everything that was done, whether it was the 68 Olympics when those two brothers put their hands up in the air, incredibly political act for the white ally standing with them to stand with them, you know, and to be on their side. Huge, big deal. Um, you think about Muhammad Ali, probably the one of the most blatantly political um, activists inside sports ever in history, you know, took on the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, you th- sports and, and politics have always been merged, particularly since in America, sports and politics have always been racial. If you think about boxing, the idea that a black man could beat up a white man in 1900 and not get lynched, that's huge. Absolutely. It's the biggest thing in American life, right? That you had black boxers able to literally publicly beat up a white man and survive. That's that's humongous, right? And so everything about sports is politics. So whenever I hear people say, you know, shut up and play, that's ridiculous. It's not what they've ever done. And black athletes in particular have had to carry that ball. They've had to carry because unfortunately... You know, racism is in everything, including in sports, and they've had to carry that ball to say, well, you know what, we're as good at this or better at this than you, and we're going to play. We need to get paid. And now women are doing the same thing. They need to get paid. It's, These women carry soccer. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Tired. I saw someone wrote a piece today talking about, like, yo, I'm tired of the celebratory, like, performative, like, feminism when it comes to getting their money. They just want the bag. Like, Just give them the money. Give them the money, please. You know what? If that's what they're saying, listen, give them the money. Because at the end of the day, then they can move on to other protests. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> these women, when's the last time you watched the men's team play um, World on, Cup? On my PS4. <laughs> I mean, God bless the men's team, but they don't win. They're not even on the PS4. 
I, do they even have a game? What is it? No, actually, they are. They are because I think my I think one of my sons has one. Okay, but he don't play it. So he, that's not what he's playing. No, man, we, if they're it, playing that game where you can you explain to me. See, this is one of those questions I have about this that whole aspect of games. I'm not into them. There's a particular it's game. It's FIFA, by the way. It's FIFA. It's FIFA. Not World Cup. Oh, it's World Cup. Okay. <laughs> what is the game where I mean, my kids they play sports like all night and they're like yelling. I'm like, how is this fun? Like they're like screaming at each other. It's probably Fortnite. It's Fortnite. That's yeah. exactly what it is. I'm like, what are y'all yelling about? Here, here's how the, is this fun? Here's the thing. First of all, it's free. That's why. Is that what they're playing? You can download it, and then this is what the gift is for you and said parents. It's yeah. the fact of the the additional stuff that you can buy, like the swag. Right. So, for instance, like let's just say I'm from Golden State, and you know I'm really nice because the whole thing is about building the house, but also shooting people. So fearful. Yeah, there's but, definitely a lot of shooting. I can hear yeah. guns and yelling. It's pretty collaborative. And I'm like, how is this entertainment? Exactly. But you know, <laughs> although I do watch like zombie shows, yeah, like, we I just should understand that. it's about shooting. Also, they, they get it honest. They right. get it honest. Fair. Right. So. The thing is, the thing about um, Fortnite is the concept that it's like the freemium models. This exact same thing that right. Kim Kardashian has a video game. I right. give you something for free, but yeah. for you to go ahead and be the fly. Keep buying everything. Yeah. So got if it. you're from Golden State and you got a Fortnite account, I know if I can go ahead and buy the Steph Curry jersey, right. you can see me not only buy the Steph Curry jersey, but if I go ahead and download this little dance that some black kids probably not getting paid for, you can go ahead and do that as well too. So that's probably the customization factor of like Fortnite well, and those things go. do really, really well. So it's all economics. That's a- good. Absolutely. Somebody's so, making money, but probably not anyone looks like oh, abs- Of course not. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean? You know, I, you know, you know Soldier Boy is fine. Anyway, so um, I know it kept it really serious here, but it would behoove me not to go ahead and talk about some of the things that it's not just your, your politics that people talk about. It's the fact that, um, you know, you know, rappers got bars, but also like when you do have um, polite, full confrontational smoke when it comes to having guests on camera, you know, so, you know, we use points on the board as a reference to people that, you know, handle their business, whatever it is. I love how I guess I'm asking maybe what is a good day or, or the best way? What does it feel like when you win an argument where the, the facts are always there? Like, well, you know, it's interesting because we do have these arguments sometimes on the show because we want to try to have conservatives on. We do want to try to have Republicans on. They don't always say yes. Like, we have a lot that just say no. We've been yeah. asking for the administration members. They all pretty much say no. But when we have somebody on, my strategy for interviewing people is it's most important what I read before they get there. Right. I'm not going to fight with you, fight you if I don't know anything, if I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. right. I'm just going to stand down because there's no point in trying to fight you from a place of ignorance. So I do a lot of research when somebody comes on. I read their stuff. I read what they've written. I read what they think. I watch their interviews. So I'm ready for whatever it is they're going to bring me. And then I have a great staff. You know, the team is back there so that if I don't know, I'll just say on camera because everybody knows it's TV. Right. Like, there's no reason to pretend that there's like a magical thing where I know everything. I just say to my uh, producers, you know, get me this information. So if we're going to if we're going to argue, don't bring talking points. I've actually seen people come in with the talking points in front of them. Uh, it was like, I can see them. I, I see them. Why are you here? <laughs> hey. You right wrote here. it down. I know what you're going to say. So a lot of times. That was I, yesterday. Right. And the thing is, politics now has become a performance. Where right. People come in and they have a list of talking points. They just have to say them. And their goal is just to get them out. Look, I've done um, political PR. So I used to be the public. I was on that side. So I know that the goal is when I have somebody there, I need you to get out these four points. And they're trying to do it. But I'm like, I already know the game, so you can't do it with me. Yo, and shout out to Nipsey Hussle. You talked about that before, about like, how can someone tell me what to do if I built this? So if, like, if I worked at a few different jobs or right. a few different roles, like you can't, there's no stonewalling me. It's just like, you got to get it done, right? Just, just answer the question. And the other thing that really kind of bothers me, you know, when we've interviewed people, if you like Donald Trump, just tell me why, right? I mean, saying these talking points, you're trying to get around the real reason if you just tell me why then we can have a conversation but people don't want to tell you why because the reasons why are generally disturbing a little bit and I think they don't think that they'll go over well culturally so people get around it by saying lots of other reasons why they like him okay so here's here's the cool thing right so 
political side, but you know, we gotta keep some music things in here. So I have to ask you this, you know, um, as a person who put you on the Kendrick Lamar, you know, um, let's get that way out there now. Um, who, in your opinion, because I think again, with the convergence of social media and the politics and sports field, the, the musicians and the MCs over the past 10 years have been had no choice but to put their hands in there. Yeah. For me, it's been J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, and um, people of that ilk. Is there someone that you've seen in the way they carry themselves in that music space where, you know, not only am I listening to this, but my kids are? Well, I would say that who Mike is listening to, I mean, you're right. I think I still think I lived in the greatest era of hip hop. You know, I'm still, I'm, I'm that old girl who's just like, my era was the best era. And y'all know what y'all kids are doing. I got someone like that name. Her this. name is Tabby. It's fine. <laughs> It's cool. Right, because, you know, Tupac and Jay-Z, I think they changed the culture, right? Agreed. You know what I mean? Like how many culture changes? I think J. Cole could get in there if you want to talk about current people who kind of changed the culture and had that power. Right. But I still think, like, the old the old folks know it better, just Chuck to D. me personally. Um, well, yeah, Chuck D, obviously, too. But I think Jay-Z, look, I think that what he's done, bigger than music, I think what he and, and Beyonce have done culturally, I think is the most important cultural um, they are the they are the two most important cultural figures currently, and the reason I say that is not only on the music side, but on building businesses, um, broadening their brand beyond music to everything else. They kind of, I mean, look, Beyonce at this point owns marching bands. Like you can't even have a marching band. People are like that's Beyonce marching band. Damn it, <laughs> Aggie Pride. <laughs> I mean, Aggie Pro- there were dancers in there from uh, North Carolina agriculture. And for real, and nobody, it's like nobody can have a marching band anymore. Exactly. Like she took, she, she, took she took HBCUs she now. They went so, to HBCU or I BCU. Love it. Or I love what they've been able to do. So I think, you know, people who bridge that culture and who can do more than that, obviously, um, um, Childish Gambino, I think, has done a lot of that, too, because Donald not Glover. only, yeah, in terms of doing movies, in terms of doing TV, like, in, he ha- he has a bigger cultural message, I think, that's And he's important. also hiring people that people have always, like, blackballed or were, you know, considered outside. Like, I mean, he gets a lot of flack for, you know, things that you know, maybe performative sometimes, like, yeah. you know, black cinema, but you're not going to tell me if he's hiring, you know, Monique, when she got dogged out or blackballed. Yeah. You know, this man is not at least half the pulse. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You and the challenge me. I have and the, you know, what I would like to see more of, and I think some people do do it, I think Kendrick Lamar mainly is one who does it, is that, you know, when in my era, <laughs> talking like an old lady, in my it. era, <laughs> you know, people felt a, a responsibility to speak culturally all the time. Now, granted, you know, speaking against Reagan and Bush and Bush Jr. is a little different than speaking against Trump, who's mm. literally on his side among those who support him are neo-Nazis. Like, they support him, right? So it's a little more dangerous now. There's a lot more violence. People are a lot more publicly violent and racially violent now. But I still wish that the culture, you know, the way the jazz culture always was, mm. the way the blues culture always was, There's always there was always a lot more fight. I, you, I, didn't, I don't know if you got a chance to see Aretha Franklin's have you seen the film Amazing Grace? I didn't see Amazing Grace. Oh my God, it's so good. And she doesn't say anything in it, but that era when she was coming up, people felt a responsibility to speak culturally a right. lot more. And I feel like current hip hop is very entertaining. I don't know if it's as culturally powerful. I wish it would be more. And I think some people are, and some people are brilliant and really smart and doing a lot of smart things. I would love to see more of it because this is a time when the culture needs to fight. Because it's getting fought. It's um, you know, I think the the gender, the, the whole thing was specifically because I know you did some work with um when he uh, did his documentary with Khalif. Yeah, Khalif Brown. That Khalif was Khalif. huge. That was wild to me because for me, it, it practice what you preach. If you get in a position to go ahead and influence change, do it. And then someone like Wayne, who's a friend of yours, or you know, you're a big fan of Wayne. He's talked on record of saying, "Hov's got my bills right, my taxes." When you know, yeah. Baby was basically putting him in purgatory. He was in the sunken place with his money, and Jay Z came in on the financial aspect to yep. go ahead and get his, his life right. But, I mean, Beyonce, it, it, I love how the fact how, you know, you've seen them grow up in the spotlight, but also the fact of now they get a chance to do the music or they understand that the relevance 
of what they do and the footprints they are. And I don't know if they, they understand the value of social, but they understand that the, the, the authors of what's going to be next are and the people below them. Yeah, you know and I mean? just wonder, like, if this was an era when Tribe was still out or somebody like that. Like, people, they're still out in, in their own way, but... Mm-hmm. Um, God rest five, but um, rest in peace five. You know, but it it is a different era when I feel like there's less of that kind of a conversation happening. I wish there was more because the people have the talent. Obviously, there are plenty of people who have the talent. You know, especially since Kanye, you know, is in the sunken place. You don't listen, listen to future. <laughs> you don't listen to future. So you put me on a new. I don't know. Future. Listen, I, I work it seven days a week. I don't know who future is. Tell me who it is. Send me. You send yeah, the me new to future, me. The new future. You know, future. Sierra's um Sierra's ex or the new future. The new future. Yeah. Well, uh, you're not I that. See, that. you're I out here. It's that. fine. I'm nah, I got. I'll send you. I'll send you a mixtape. I got you. Um, so. We do ask a few other questions. I think one of the big ones that I do want to ask you before before um, before they give me the the slack green light. Um, whether so for me, one of the biggest things when I wanted to do interviews and get into like the dissecting is like I looked at people like Ed Bradley, I looked at um Brian Gumble, I looked at like Sway, I looked at people that you know I wanted to go ahead and pull from to go ahead and make a better version of myself when it came to giving game. So. As someone who studied people in front of you when it comes to doing interviews, because you've done, you've your your skill set is not necessarily the traditional political reporter. You came in, you know, on things that you wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. Now, who are some of the people that you would emulate, or people that if you were to tell your kids to study, if they wanted to do what you do at a high level, who would it be? I would say people who are working now. Yeah. I would say Gail King is like top of her game. Like she is a really good interviewer. She's really patient. I mean, her interview with R. Kelly is kind of a classic. Like. She- <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I was like, yo, I need that in my life. Robert. Like, that's, that's like a kill Robert. list. Right. Robert. <laughs> Robert. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely really look up to her. I look up to Robin Roberts. I think she's really smart. I think Oprah Winfrey's a great influencer. She still is at the top of her game. Like, she stays at the top of her game. She's a smart interviewer. Um, she knows that she comes in prepared. She asks really good questions. I think some of the people I work for are amazing. I love listening to Rachel Maddow interview people. Maddow. She's brilliant. Like, yeah. she's, I mean, she is literally a genius. Um, and her interviews are patient and smart. Um, and she asked really good questions. I think. I mean, I respect the people I work with a lot. Chris Hayes is a great interviewer. I mean, Lawrence O'Donnell's a great guy. I mean, they, they are smart, and I like what they're doing. And I like that. I like the um, the fact that they're making an impact on the culture, and they're asking relevant questions that are not trying to give each side equal weight. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They don't feel like they have to do that. So I think there are a lot of smart interviewers. I think what people should do is just pick somebody you like. Right. And and try to follow them, but also follow somebody you don't necessarily like. You know right. what I mean? Like try to listen to some people that you might think are wrong and just sort of learn from that, too. Try to listen to a lot of everything. Don't take all your news from one place, obviously, um, because there's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot out there. It's it's dangerous out there, especially in social media. You don't know what you're listening to. Hey, you don't know what you're reading either. No. Right. right, right. So um, so we just had our, our big round of debates when it came to the Democratic Party. Um, <laughs> All was, 143 people. Listen, that man, it looked like a fighting game screen. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ! Like, who who am I picking? And um, it reminded me of the Bachelorette. Oh my god! It's like the first, you know, like the first, uh, the first right, Bachelor, right. the Bachelorette, when they're all trying to get a rose. That's it's, what it looked like. It's to me. a random dude named Billy who just gets eliminated <laughs> out of, off the first Every round. Every time, yeah, and that's oh, it's not this, I, all okay. I know is and yeah, my man Sowell's already out. He already said he's done. But yep. um, I was watching it, and obviously a few touch points for me was the HBCU capacity with uh, you know Kamala, but uh, being from Delaware and then also seeing what Joe Biden. Oh yeah, that's your boy. Yeah, um, he's wilding. Um, I, I think. Um, I think that what really sucks is the fact that um, someone were to ask me if, if Joe Biden's a racist, no, but he does have the blind spots that the white people growing up back home, they tend to act like they don't have in the sense of just because you've grown up near or around poverty, do not equate that to blackness. And I feel like because he has, he's Grove in Scranton. I know yeah. he did. Best believe there's Scranton, there's Claymont, there's other parts in Wilmington, you know, that are hurting too. But 
I think the problem was, and I think that was her overall point, it doesn't matter if you weren't necessarily a part of, and even the way you tried to dismiss it, the fact was that you were there and this is the energy that you brought up. And I think that was the whole her whole point and how strategic it was. You know, yeah. Even though she built it by fact and talking about busing and whatnot, but Joe, you've been, you've been riding pretty, pretty comfortable. You know, some coattails, reverse coattails. I don't but know. In, the way, in a way, that's what makes him popular, right? right? Because he, there are a lot of Americans who relate to that. I mean, he, when he's speaking that way, he's speaking for a lot of Americans who align themselves with the Democratic Party but who have the same blind spots he does. So you see a lot of anger from his base at Kamala Harris and at anybody who's supporting her after that because they feel accused too. And so we have to realize that that kind of racial anxiety is not only in the Republican Party, it's all across the United States. It's, it's literal racial anxiety, meaning it's not partisan racial anxiety. People just feel this anxiousness at being questioned. And that also goes for liberals too. And so you have a lot of his supporters who are mad because they're like, I don't want to have myself and my past views. I don't I don't want to be questioned. You know what I mean? And they mm-hmm. feel like, look, look what we did for, y- for y'all. We, got, we gave you Obama. It's like, no, no, we gave ourselves Obama. Right. <laughs> I hear that. So, 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 OK. So wrapping up, because this right here is um, the kill question I need to ask. Kill question sounds very aggressive. It's not. These are the questions <laughs> that, I'm not, that I usually ask when it comes to hip hop, but also politics. So for you. You know, obviously, I know you your family. What was the first album that you gave them, or if you haven't gave them, that described political rap? If someone wanted to get purpose in an album, who would the artist, or what would be the project you would immediately give them? Oh, 100%. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I mean, it, or Fear of a Black Planet, probably, too. Um, you know, I, I feel like Public Enemy was, like, the most important hip-hop group in terms of um, social activism and speaking back to power. I just feel like there's nobody even close to what Chuck D and them did. Mm. 100%. If your kid asked you, what is R&B, what was the first album that you gave him? I would say, well, the first R&B album I had, you know, like I said, I'm an old lady, so I, got, <laughs> I had Off the Wall. So I got that album when I was in like, like fifth grade or something like that. Yeah. Like that was the first kind of album that I got that was actually an album. And it used to open. Like, this oh, yeah. Album. Back in the day, it used to open. So I was like, this is amazing. You get a whole Michael Jackson out of it. And, uh, and obviously I was a huge Janet Jackson fan too. So I liked both of the Jacksons. I think Janet Jackson to this day, if you, you didn't, you, you, like, did you, did your, was your mother not around if you didn't have like Janet, Whitney, or uh, in the 90s or whatever, because it's like, it was like the quintessential. It's like Whitney, uh, Janet, I forget who's the other one that's just like, I feel like you need to have, like, that was always playing. My mom always played, like, back in the day. It's like, you gotta have, like, TLC, or you gotta, <laughs> you gotta have some, TLC. Gotta have TLC. But you know, it's funny, because when I was growing up, you either had to be, you were either a Prince or a Michael Jackson person. I liked both, which is very uh, unusual, because people I, Eve only liked one. I was in a Mike Jack household. Michael Jackson. You, you were in a Michael Jackson. You know, yeah. my house was very Michael Jackson, but I also liked Prince. Right. But Prince, you had to listen to like in, on the bus on the way to school because your parents wouldn't let you have it. You can't be bumping Darling Nikki at like. You cannot. You cannot have it in your house. Like no. you really, your, my mother would have been like, no, my mother, my mother that's not in a Christian house. Yeah. What was the um? And this is the one thing because again on the hip hop end, what's the one lyric? What's the one lyric that unfortunately translates both as into a, as a great bar, but also as a mantra, as in like a, a, a standard, like as a as a. If you have a bar that act, that acts as like your, a personal statement, do you have any? Do I have a bar that's a personal statement? A lyric, a lyric that always resonates with you when you need to go ahead and do something purposeful. I don't know. That's a good question. I would have to think about that. Mm, okay. I would have to think about that. It wasn't like confusing, just stumped. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I think I'm stumped. I okay. think for the, that's a good question. I have to think about it. Okay, that's fair. And last but not least, this is the biggest one right here. Drew Hill or 112? Oh, 112, 100 percent. Why? All right. 112. Okay. No, 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 Are you no, kidding no, no, me? no, no, no. Why, That's not right. even a. No, what? no, no. Why 112? Why 112? Because look, all their greatest singles, and I'm trying to tell you, the majority of them, they were featured. 
They weren't like Drew Hill, who yeah, was but they're a classic. Man. And also Biggie, um, Biggie he was on part of two. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The association, the greatest hits have Biggie. Nah, it's it's clearly one twelve, one hundred percent. This is um, this is definitely uh, this is definitely a weighted <laughs> argument here, but it's fine. You know, Drew, I tried to hold it down, but you know, I had to get that off because I've been holding that in for about five, six years now. Because <laughs> Torre, he said some wild stuff back in Essence, and he, I, I don't think he should stand on that. He was Team One Twelve, one hundred percent One Twelve. Torre okay. is right. He's not, but it's fine. You know, we're greatest guys trying to get eviscerated. So uh, don't argue with Torre about music. No, nah, I mean he really, yeah. Because I mean, obviously, he's going against someone who's been in the game. Like, right. you know, I, I punch up. I'm trying to learn. You know, <laughs> I, if if I see it, I got to ask certain questions. Like, I've ran up on um. I run up on people just asking the most nerdy questions. I did it with Timbaland, and I know he didn't hear me, but it's <laughs> it's a fact. I was like, "Yo, you you created the greatest album of like, thank you." He was like, <laughs> "You know, the little beatboxing <laughs> shit." But that's a story for another day. Um, Joy Ann Reed, um, MSNBC's AM Joy host, Joy Reed, author of The Man Who Sold America. Please, thank you for stopping by. Points on the board. This was a full circle moment for me. And I appreciate you coming by. Thank you. I'll get you my lyrics. I, I'll email them to you. I know you will, too. And I appreciate that, too, man. <laughs> and so, they'll be right. I'll, I'll, I'll be right about it. Yeah. I, I'm going to lie. But it's fine. Later. Thank you, man. <laughs> appreciate you. Please remember to rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud so you can hear points on the board anywhere you want. And of course, always on the shadow.com. You can put it on the board!